0: We are continuing to work our way through John's Gospel. One of the challenges uh, of, of preaching through John's Gospel is so much of it is, comes in these big sections. And so really, John chapter 6, the whole chapter is all one episode. And it's really meant to be read uh, and considered all together. The problem is uh, in, in preaching that, well, you can't really read a whole chapter uh, of 71 verses and expect anybody to still be left in the pew uh, once, you've, once you've done reading that, um, let alone there, there's just so much that Jesus says here that really deserves further explanation. And so even though it's going to take us longer, it's good that we consider uh, this, this whole chapter in just small pieces. And so last week what we saw... A miracle that maybe you're familiar with, uh, where Jesus feeds over 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. He does this amazing miracle, feeds all these people, and they see this, and what they want to do is take him by force and make him king. They want to use Jesus to overthrow the Roman Empire. So they see Jesus' power, and they want to use it for their own good. And then we saw the this, this shorter episode right after that. So as soon as the crowd begins to take hold of Jesus, Jesus pulls back. He goes, he retreats kind of into the hills so they can't get him. Uh, and his disciples get in a boat by themselves and head across the Sea of Galilee back to Capernaum. And while they're on the sea at night in the dark, uh, a, a storm whips up uh, and the waves get out of control. And so they're, they're fighting to get to shore. And then they see Jesus walking across the stormy waves to get to them. Uh, and he he says, it's I, don't be afraid. And they bring him into the boat and the rest of their trip goes by quickly, smoothly. And so what you see there is the difference in response. The crowd sees Jesus' power and they want to use it. They want to use it for their own ends. The disciples see Jesus's power and they realize their neediness. They realize that without that without Jesus' intervention, they're lost. And so they bring him into the boat. Uh, And that forms the background for what's going to happen next. John 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. So they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God, literally working the works of God. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written He gave them bread from heaven to eat. shall never thirst let's pray together father in heaven would you give us eyes to see ears to hear hearts to understand lord would you diagnose would you show us our own our own fallen Condition, and then would you open a, our own hunger, and then would you open up our eyes and, and cause us to see Jesus as the only one who can satisfy, who can alleviate that hunger? We ask it in His name, Amen. Um, I got I got in trouble last time because I not last time, maybe two times ago, because I forgot to put my outline on the PowerPoint. I have forgotten again to put my outline on the PowerPoint. So if there is a blank screen primarily behind me, uh, I'm about to. I'll tell you what the main idea is, and I'll tell you the points so that if your kids are taking notes or drawing pictures, or if you happen to be taking notes, then it would be easier for you to follow along. Here, is, here is the main idea. Here's what we're gonna. Here's what we're gonna shoot for. Uh, here's what I believe this passage teaches: that Jesus is the true bread that will never spoil. And always satisfy. Jesus is the true bread that will never spoil and always satisfy. And what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of walk through. Jesus is having this conversation with these crowds. And what we find out later is he's actually teaching in the synagogue. And so they come in. This is worship time. And this was not uncommon in a synagogue that Jesus is teaching, but he's interacting with the people that he's talking to. And so they find him, and they ask him. And what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through their responses to one another uh, and hopefully glean some, some truth for that. So the first thing we're going to see is that, that Jesus rebukes the crowd uh, and really rebukes us for working for food that lasts forever. Uh, really, for, or He's going to challenge us to work for food that lasts forever. Uh, our problem is we work for food that perishes. We strive after things that go away um, and that's our, that's our first point. So, you see uh, you see there, they, the crowds are looking for Jesus. They're mystified as to where he went. They saw the, the, the disciples get in the boat and leave. They didn't see Jesus get in and go, but uh, they're curious about where he went. So, they too, when, when some other boats come from a nearby town, they jump on and they go hunting for Jesus, and they find him in Capernaum. And they ask him, when did you get here? And Jesus, true to form, doesn't answer... Their question. He answers with something else altogether. right? And you see this, especially in John's Gospel. When Jesus interacts with people, they ask, they ask a question. But what Jesus really wants to do, he's not interested in satisfying their curiosity. He's interested in, in going after their heart. The going after their hearts. And so that's what Jesus does when, when they said, Hey, when did you get here? Jesus ignores that. He, he doesn't want to go down that rabbit trail. Instead, he rebukes them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, you're looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're, you're looking for me, but you're looking for me for all of the wrong reasons. You're looking for me, again, not not because of my power, but because of what my power can do for you. That's why you're looking for me, and it's not the reason you should be looking for me. He tells them, do not work. That word work makes up a main part of this passage. Do not work for the food that perishes. The food that's here today and gone tomorrow. So when Jesus says do not work, he, of course he's not saying don't work to provide food for your family or for yourself. That's, that's not what he's rebuking. What he's rebuking is the fact that they, are, that they are more interested in satisfying their bellies. They're more interested in physical hunger than they are in spiritual hunger. That they are spending their time and their money to gather up stuff that will be gone tomorrow. And so in that way, we're not any different. Surely you can hear in yourself that, that same rebuke, that we, we spin our wheels, we spin our effort, we spend our time and our money and our relationships all to, to gather up stuff. Things that, once they're consumed, are discarded and never come back. As Jesus will say in the Sermon on the Mount, right? things that moth and rust destroy, things that thieves break in and steal. We're certainly working... We will work for food, but we work for the wrong thing. And Jesus says, instead of striving for food that's going to perish, striving for food that won't last, you should strive for food that will last. Food that will feed you into eternity. Really, food that will lead you into eternal life. So we work, or we should work, for that. Where does it come from? He tells us, verse 27, this food, that, this forever food that lasts to eternal life, that gives us eternal life, the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. Jesus chooses that phrase, that title, Son of Man, because it's a title for the Messiah that doesn't, that doesn't carry any baggage, if you remember last week, they called him the prophet. They saw his miracle and they called him the prophet. And what that meant for them was that, ah, this is the one. This is the one who's going to set us free from our slavery to the Romans. And so Jesus goes with a name that doesn't have any of that baggage. He goes with a name that will uh, that he can give meaning to. And so he calls himself the Son of Man. And he says, the Father has set his seal. You know that when, when you set your seal to something, it's... It's your stamp of approval. I don't know. When I, when I read this, the first thing that I thought of, um, this is probably a useless illustration because it won't have any reference to most people in the room, but the original Nintendo, all right, the 8-bit Nintendo, little gray box that when it didn't work, you had to like blow into it like that was going to somehow miraculously fix it. Amen. There you go. You've been there. <clears throat> and then it wouldn't work and you just had to toss the game, right? There was, a, there was a time at which Nintendo would certify the games. They put their seal of approval on the outside of the game so that you knew you had a genuine Nintendo cartridge. I don't know what that meant, but I, it, you know, somehow it made me... Uh, that's the one I want off the shelf, right? So uh, when, you, when you put your seal of approval, when you put your stamp of approval on something, what you're saying is, this will work. This will, this will accomplish the purpose I intend for it to. And so when Jesus says, the Father has set his seal on him, he's saying, this is why the Father has sent me. The Father has approved me for this very thing, to give away life-giving bread, life-giving food, food that won't run out. That's what I have come to do. That's what I am sealed to do. And so Jesus says, I'll give it to you. That's what I'm here for. And they, they hear that, but they... they they misunderstand. He says, work for the food that endures to eternal life. So they say to him in verse 28, great, what, what do we need to do? What must we do to be working the work of God? Jesus, this is, this is great. What a great offer. And if, you, and if you remember back to the woman at the well, we're dealing with the same thing. The woman at the well, when Jesus offered her water that would never run out, She thought he was talking about literal water, right? And her response was, how great, I don't have to come back to the well. This is awesome. And so the crowd is doing the same thing here. They think that Jesus is talking about physical bread. And so they think, great, we're never going to run out of bread. So tell me, Jesus, what do we need to do? You said work for the right kind of food. We want to work. So what work do we need to do? And here's what Jesus says in verse 29. What do we need to do to be working the works of God? Jesus answers, this is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he has sent. That you have faith in the one he has sent. That you trust in him who he has sent. All right, so so we've said this before. To believe someone or in someone is to trust them. Uh, I use the illustration often for faith, uh, that, that faith is, right, if you're going to have faith in the pew you're sitting on, you need more than just a knowledge of the pew and of physics and of gravity and of carpentry. You need more than just my assurance that the pew is going to hold you up. So you need more than knowledge, more than assurance. In order to place your faith in the pew, what must you do? You must sit on the pew. That is what faith is. And so Jesus is telling them and he's telling us, do you want the bread? Do you want me to give you the bread that will lead you into eternal life? Trust me. In a sense, sit down in me. Rest in me. And, and here's where this challenges us. Because it challenged the crowd. They looked at the law. They looked at what they knew from their Bibles. And they said, oh, well there must be some list of, some long list of good things that I must do in order to get this bread from Jesus. How can I pay for the bread, Jesus, what works can I do to pay you for this bread? But he already said, the Son of Man gives it. It's free bread. It's a gift. What you have to do to get it is receive it. So as Calvin would say, it's a, it's a passive work. It's really, it's not necessarily the opposite of work, but it's a passive work. I have a friend, uh, a pastor friend. I, I, I visited this past week, and in his office, he has this beautiful uh, antique desk. It's a standing desk. I've been on the hunt for one, um, and it's and it's just gorgeous. And so I just had to ask him, well, where did you get this desk? And he told me the story. He went to, he went to an office to the office of one of his elders. Um, and he was waiting on his elder to get there. He was in a meeting, so he was just, I guess he was rummaging around in his elder's office. And he saw this desk sitting there up against the wall. And so when Tom came in, he said, Tom, where did you get that? And the first thing Tom said was, oh, well, you can have it. And Brian said, Tom, I'm not, I'm not taking your desk. That's a really nice desk. What, I mean, surely I can give you? He's like, no, just, just take it. He said, Tom, you know, maybe your kids will want that desk. He's like, Brian, take the desk. And Brian said, okay, tell you what, I will, I will borrow it from you. As long as I'm here, I'll borrow it, and when I leave, you can have it back. And he said, whatever, just take the desk, right? What did, what did my friend have to do to get such an amazing desk? He just had to trust Tom. He had to trust that Tom was good for his word, and then he just had to take the desk. That's what Jesus is saying to the crowd. You want the bread? Take it. But you've got to trust me. Believe me. And here's what we do. We we say, surely there's more. Just Just like my friend Bryant, Tom, surely there's something I can give you. Surely there's something I can do forever food can't be free, can it? I mean, the Bible says, James says, faith without works is dead, that that true religion is to care for widows and orphans. And that's true. In fact, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me, um, saying that the Christian life is a life of sacrifice. And that's true. Paul in Colossians tells us to put away Certain sins. He tells us to put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. And yes, that's all there. But all of those things are the fruit of faith. They are not done in order to earn faith. You do not take up the cross to earn the gift. You do not take up the cross to earn eternal life. You do not feed widows and orphans to earn eternal life you do not put away sin uh, you don't you don't fight your own sin to earn eternal life all of those things are the fruit of faith and the reason that is so incredibly important is because if you if you rush on if you run on ahead if you say Jesus surely there's something more then here's what you are in danger of doing you're in danger of offering bread to people that is not bread You are in danger of offering to people something that will perish, i.e. your works. Jesus says, right, we we talked a a few weeks ago about the Christian waltz. that the Christian life is really a three-step dance. Repent, believe, fight. We repent of our sin, we believe in Jesus, and then we fight our sin, our flesh, the world, the devil, right? We have to engage in battle. And what some of us want to do is we want to run on ahead to the fight step. We want to run past Jesus saying, trust me, and we want to go ahead and engage. And when we do that, we are in danger of missing, well, of missing the beauty of what Jesus is saying right here. Right here, we're just at the first two steps. Stop. Repent. Right? Stop, stop striving for food that's going to go away. And believe. Take the food that will last forever. Repent and believe. Think about, think about how you would react to your child. If after Christmas morning was done, you had given them all of their gifts, and they came up to you, and they said, All right, Dad, what do I owe you? I got a, I got a bulldozer and I got some Legos, and I got a book, 50, 60, 100, what will it, it be? You would look at them like they were crazy. It's absurd to think that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously hoping that no one in here would make their children pay for gifts. It's, the, it's, it's counter to what a gift is. And in fact, if you gave a gift to another person, and they said to you, what do I owe you? you would immediately think you have something wrong with you. You don't understand a gift. You don't understand generosity. But in reality, we don't understand generosity. Just think about the last time someone did, nice for you, did something nice for you. Maybe they paid for a meal or they brought you some food and it was unasked for, it was unlooked for, it was just a surprise gift. What's the first thing that you said? Oh, you didn't have to do that. We're not worth that. No, no, no. Please don't. Please don't do that. Don't do that. We are so keyed into earning everything that comes our way that we can't even receive a gift with a thank you. Like our gratitude, and maybe it's just proper etiquette. Okay, I'm a southerner. understand it's proper etiquette. That you have to, you know, when somebody gives you a gift, you kind of have to feign like you didn't really want it at first, right? And I understand that's proper etiquette. But that's not proper etiquette with Jesus. Because his gift so far outstrips anything that we could possibly own or imagine or have. But we do the same thing. We think, well, surely there's something I can do to earn this. I can do something to, to pay you back. No, just Gratitude. Just thank you. Just receive the gift. Don't try to pay your parents for what they gave you at Christmas time. It misunderstands generosity. And it shows us that really we're more interested in trusting ourselves than we are in trusting the giver of the bread. But notice this too. Jesus says this is the work of God that you believe, but it's not naked belief. It's not... It's not, it's not just like faith that comes on the Hallmark card or on the cutesy picture frame in the boutique shop, right? This faith has an object. This faith has a target, and its reference is Jesus. The work of God is to believe in the one whom he has sent, whom God has sent, namely the Son, particularly Jesus. And so faith is not some blind leap into the canyon, into the abyss, hoping that something will catch you. Faith is actually laying hold of Jesus and resting in Him. And the crowd gets it. They, they understand what Jesus is saying. They hear the challenge because they say to Him in verse 30, well, then what sign do you do? If we're going to trust you... If we're supposed to take your word for it, that you're the one sent from heaven, that you're from God, then prove it. Show us a sign. You see, they don't, they don't like what Jesus has just said. They understand what he's saying. They understand that he has special authority, that he has the right to give them something they don't have. And so they feel like they need to challenge him. They say, prove it. You want to make such astounding claims? Show us your work. Moses provided bread for our ancestors. What are you going to do? I guess providing bread just the day before isn't enough. The miraculous sign they've already seen isn't enough. And isn't that the nature of unbelief? That we just have to say, one more. If I'm going to trust you, I need to see one more thing. One more thing. Come through one more time. Do one more big thing. Then, then I'll trust you are who you say you are. But Jesus doesn't buy it. He doesn't take the bait. He says, you're still looking for the wrong thing. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. Guys, Moses didn't provide manna for your ancestors, and he doesn't provide manna for you. God was the one who did that. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. True, real, better. So what Jesus is saying is stop looking backwards. Stop looking backwards to some past blessing and look at what's right in front of you. Even the manna that you claim was such a great proof of who God is, and so it was, the manna perishes. The manna manna would perish just like regular bread. And the people who ate it, they died too. I'm offering you something richer, something better, something sustaining, something that will cause you to live forever. I'm offering you true bread. And the Father gives it. And that bread, Jesus says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, the way this works in Greek, this may sound a little bit confusing, but it explains why they don't get it, right? Because their response to him is, sir, give us this bread always. Uh, Just like the woman at the well, who when she received Jesus' offer of water, said, sir, give give me this water always. In the same way, they they respond in exactly the same way. Their their unbelief still is clouding their vision. Um, And the reason why that makes a little more sense, because Jesus sounds pretty clear to us in verse 33, and that's because in English, where it says, for the bread of God is he who comes down, in Greek, that could just as easily have been heard as the one who comes down. Or excuse me, not the one, but... um, the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven. So, it was unclear. It would be unclear whether Jesus was talking about a person or about physical bread. So, they're still looking for physical bread. And that causes Jesus to get even more explicit. Right? And so, the, so the first section that we just looked at, Jesus says, work for Real bread. Strive for the bread that does not perish, but that will last forever. And then what we find out in the second, session, second, second section is that Jesus is that bread. Right? Jesus says very clearly in verse 35, I am the bread of life. I am. The, the same phrase uh, that God reveals himself to Moses with in the Old Testament. When Moses says, what name What name will I tell the people when I go to rescue them? God uh, God says, you tell them I am has sent you. Jesus says this seven times in John's Gospel. I am the bread of life. I am what you are looking for. And then he says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is saying I am what you're looking for and I will never disappoint you. You will not be hungry. You will you can expect to never be thirsty. If you come to me, I am completely sufficient and there is no need for anyone else. I will completely satisfy you. You can expect that you will never be thirsty again. But then Jesus says this, verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Jesus says, You've seen what I can do, but you have no idea who I am. You've seen me provide bread and you don't believe, which tells me that you don't know who I am. Which then makes us, raises the question for us how do we come to Jesus? If we are so blinded by our bellies, if we are so blinded by the physical, then how do we come to understand the spiritual? Look at what Jesus says next in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Do you know how radical that is? Jesus says, you're blind in your own unbelief. But don't worry. I'm not put off by that. Because all that the Father gives me will come. And all that come will be kept. Jesus is talking about predestination. That if you're going to believe, it is because you are a part of of God's people. And that you will come to me. And when you come to me, there is no chance that I'm going to kick you out. I will keep you. So your salvation is secure in me. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I have come to work for my Father. What is the Father's will? Verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Imagine, we've got a number of military guys in here, imagine a search and rescue mission. But imagine that that instead of conquering the enemy, beating down the gate, and opening the prison door, right? imagine a search and rescue mission where you just said, hey, I'm going to leave this door open, and if anybody wants to leave, you're welcome to leave. And then you walk out. That is not salvation. That's, look, Jesus, Jesus is not saying the, the Father has sent me so that I can offer salvation to everybody who will take it. Is he? Jesus is saying the Father has sent me to rescue people. He has people for me to go in and pull out. With a search and rescue mission, there is an extraction If you don't pull the people out that you came to rescue, your mission is a failure. Jesus comes to save, and he saves completely. And he saves completely because it is the will of the Father. But, verse 40, this is the will of my Father. Jesus now from looking at it from one perspective, now moves to the other. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Here's what's crazy about John and Paul and the rest of the New Testament, that they can say, without blushing, God is completely sovereign in your salvation. It is the Father who plans it. It is the Son who carries it out. And it is the Spirit who applies it. It is God's work. God is sovereign. And at the same time, can say, You are responsible. You must believe. All who comes to me, Jesus says, I will receive. And I will never cast anybody out. You cannot believe unless the Father draws. But you must believe. And while that sounds uh, like an oxymoron, like that sounds like it doesn't work in our logic, the New Testament authors had no problem with that whatsoever. God is sovereign and we are responsible. Jesus has been sent on a rescue mission. And he will rescue to the uttermost those who believe. Kevin, how do I know? How do I know if I am one who is being drawn? How do I know if I am one of the elect as Paul calls us? How do I know? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you weary of buying bread that just perishes the next day? Listen to the Invitation from Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your work for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. If you are being drawn, if that that invitation is appealing to you, then believe. Trust in the one that the Father has sent and you will be raised up to eternal life. There is nothing you can do to earn it. There is no work that you can ever accomplish in your life that will repay God for it. The bread is free, but you must come. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, there is so much more that could be said. And there are things in your word that are hard to understand. But Father, I ask, we ask that you would crystallize for us in our minds and in our hearts what Jesus is saying. That we are needy beggars. And that we and that we spend our lives We spend our souls attaining things that go away, that perish, that do not last forever. But in Jesus, there is bread that feeds forever. He is the bread of life, and in Him, there is no hunger, and there will never be thirst. That we are satisfied. So, Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and we pray, we believe, help our unbelief, help us to trust, maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time, that Jesus, who satisfies completely, we ask it in his name, amen.